Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to GTO Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about work, 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 work. Sorry, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't resist that. Uh, before we do that, I want to tell you a few things. Sometimes I get to the end and I've tried to pack so much uh, stuff into the show that I forget to tell you a few things. Um, so first off, um, I do have a couple of really fun guests coming up later this month. We have Lindsay McEwen, who hosts the show Women Thriving Unapologetically. And we also have Alana Stewart of the Farrah Fawcett Foundation coming on to talk about Farrah and anal cancer, which I have also had. Um, if you've listened to the show at all so far, you might have heard me mention that. So we're going to be providing you some really important information about um, what to do if your butt hurts, because if your butt hurts and you don't see somebody about it, um, it can be quite serious. And it's pretty common for most of us to want to avoid doing that. Uh, and so we're going to talk through all that and hopefully get everybody comfortable with taking care of themselves in that area. I also want to welcome a new country to the show. And uh, I must say, on Monday, when I, um, sorry, I was just trying to find something. Uh, when I uh, look at, you know, who's listening and what uh, what shows are listening to, it, it tells me from where people are listening. And this week, Turkey popped up. Uh, and again, if you've been listening, you know that my partner Erdogan is Turkish and I've been learning Turkish and I've gone to Turkey and um, I have so much to discover about it. But I wanted to say, Merhaba Turkiye, gusteriye hoş geldiniz, dinlediğiniz için teşekkürler, which simply translates to, hello Turkey, welcome to the show, thank you for listening. Okay, so I picked um, work as a topic uh, for mainly, I guess, the following reason. I I see a pretty high number of coaching requests on a variety of sites that um, coaches use to try to match our, um, our skills and what we have to offer up with uh, people who are looking for help. And I do see quite often that... Um, when somebody is searching for help with their career, they also note that they need help finding their purpose. And often when I read those requests, um, when people provide additional detail, their purpose or their feeling of purpose is tied up in their work. And so this show is, is mainly kind of about that at its core. And I also want to to say that I have met a number of humans who that is not where they look for purpose or want to experience purpose, that they found something they don't mind doing and it pays the bills and it doesn't require a lot from them in terms of, you know, emotional energy and stress. And so they're free to 
live other purposes outside of their work. So if you're one of those humans, um, congratulations. That's awesome. Um, many, many people uh, search and and have difficulty finding or have difficulty maybe taking the type of risks that it sometimes requires in order to make a, a really significant change in your life and your work. Because of course, our work is tied with money. Um, okay, so I've written you a story about work and I've sprinkled it with all kinds of kind of learnings and little tools and things to think about that I've just picked up over the years uh, in all of my various professional pivots, I would say. Um, and so I'm just going to take a sip of water before I start my story. And on that note, um, you know, I mentioned drinking water. It's been a while, but it only takes two days in my case to be busy um, and have a lot of things on the to-do list to uh, not quite get the water in. And then all of a sudden, I'm just not feeling very well. And I realize, ah, it's the water. And it usually takes me about two days to hydrate. And then, of course, you have to stay hydrated. So just a positive pitch for water. It can really <laughs> make you feel so much better. Okay, on to our story. It's called, So You Want a New Job. You sit with your dad in the upstairs TV room where you spend much of your time watching movies and MTV. You are 17 and are choosing your classes for your first semester of college. Having gone to treatment for addiction to alcohol and drugs a year prior, when you start your freshman year at the small private school 150 miles north of your childhood home, you will be 16 months sober. As you sit on that sunny day, pouring over the class offerings, your dad comes in to see what you're up to. You tell him. He asks you if you know what you might like to do. For work, he means. You suggest that perhaps you, you should teach. He, having taught for more than 20 years at that point, simply says, quote, don't do that. He had begun to become disillusioned with the ever-increasing limitations placed on him and the ever-increasing unrest of his young students. You posit, perhaps, a professor. He cautions you that you will need to publish and that it will be, quote, stuffy. You are not stuffy. You are a Hendrix-loving 80s hippie who, in his words, marches to the beat of your own drum. You express your preference for people over computers. He counsels you that you will need to do both. After taking this all under advisement, you reflect on the transformational nature of your own sobriety. You ponder aloud that perhaps you should use your experience to help other people find recovery. Quote, that sounds like a great choice, he says. Okay, then. It is decided that day in the TV room. You pursue, you pursue your BA in sociology, get a job in your chosen field, the summer before your senior year, gain all the required hours of experience for certification while still in college, you graduate, take the summer courses specific to chemical dependency to meet the licensing requirements, and become a chemical dependency specialist at the age of 21. You will stay at this outpatient treatment center for five years, promote to clinical director, 
and gain a specialized certification in relapse prevention. You love the work. Even in the early days of your internship, when you are given a caseload of clients, classes to teach, and groups to run, you know how to do it. Partly because you experienced high-quality treatment, partly because of your education, and partly because you just do. Because it is a calling. It utilizes your top skill. Honesty. You learn and grow in immeasurable ways. You counsel men and women many years your senior. They trust you. They tell you things they don't speak of elsewhere. You help people find their path to recovery. You experience meaningful work that aligns with your purpose right out of the gate. Your dad, a coach for 30 years, helped you find your direction, not by telling you, but by asking you and then telling you the truth. It changed the trajectory of your life. It took about an hour. Your training and certification as a relapse prevention specialist sends you to Chicago for initial training, and then you are tapped to return as an instructor. You will staff events where other therapists and addiction specialists are trained in the art of working with people who relapse. Most of the people who attempt to get sober will relapse. It is normal. We must know how to address it. We must not have zero tolerance policies. We must not judge and punish people when the primary facet of their malady shows itself. We must not consider 99% a failure. A person who drinks or uses once in a hundred days is somehow considered a failure, the one day more important than the 99. It is a wily affliction to treat and manage to begin with. Let's not load it with judgment and unrealistic expectations for perfection. We're crying out loud. This exposure to specialized training and your work as an instructor bring you into frequent contact with Terry, a foremost authority in addiction, recovery, and relapse prevention. He is brilliant and idiosyncratic. You are stopped short the first time you hear him laugh. You look around for Daffy Duck, but alas, it is Terry. You grasp and understand his methods and strategies and put them to use with clients to great effect. You understand the theoretical underpinnings and teach them without issue. You understand his training method and having been on the receiving end, are able to begin training immediately upon becoming certified, sometimes in Chicago, sometimes in California, sometimes in your own locality. On one of your trips to Chicago, he begins to have conversations with you about both expanding his company and diversifying its offerings, as well as stepping back from doing so much of the training and keynotes himself. This leads to an offer of employment, an offer for you to join his company and be sent out to train when he is either unavailable or when clients are unable to pay his premium rate. You are given a date by which he would like you to start. You speak with your husband, who is gainfully employed at that time. You are self-employed as an independent counselor, trainer, and consultant, having recently left the treatment center to strike out on an independent venture. You own a home and have two dogs, 
it is a heavy lift to move yourselves, your things, your dogs, and your two cars across the country and rent out the five-bedroom, three-bath home. A family responds to your ad to rent the home. You blow by the credit and reference checks. You are focused on getting there to start this career-making turn. You ignore the signals that something is not quite right. When something seems not quite right, it isn't. Trust your gut and pause. When you find yourself hurtling through space and time to meet a date, a deadline, stop and ask yourself, what is important about this date? Is it creating false urgency? Has it become the point? When something feels like too much, it probably is. And when you're entering into a new business relationship, look at the sharing of risk. Is it mostly your skin in the game? You arrive in the south suburbs of Chicago to the small house rented sight unseen with the help of a colleague. The house is great. It is homey and comfortable. It sits on a tree-lined street in a working-class neighborhood. Your landlords live nearby, are kind and welcoming, and bring you a pumpkin pie. When you arrive to the office, you are greeted, or rather beheld, with some surprise. Oh, we weren't expecting you so soon. We thought you were coming on such and such. We don't really have a place for you to sit, but here's an empty desk in the front office. We haven't structured your job or the pay for your job. We are thinking that it should be some base pay and a percentage of the sales you make by cold calling potential clients. The picture painted for you in all those exciting, creative, generative discussions during your recruitment are replaced with a description of a job you would pass on after giving it a mere second of thought. Nope, not for you yet you are here you try to make it work that is your nature you are not much of a quitter not in the face of defeat it will take another 25 years for you to become a better quitter you muddle through you learn what you can from the various challenges that arise you take over for terry without notice when his father passes and he must leave a large training event he records you and gives you feedback later about your performance, which is generally positive. You train a group of therapists in Puerto Rico, adjusting for the interpreter who is needed for 100% of the material, information not shared with you ahead of time. When there are opportunities to learn from him, you are wrapped. You know his mind is unique, his passion for his work palpable. You know this proximity to a form of genius is special. Your husband, ever the center of conflict and theories of conspiracy against him, begins to show familiar signs of going sideways with those in his vicinity, including your employer. As the ice, snow, and frigid winds move in just a couple of months after your arrival, the writing is on the wall, but you are hiding from it, hiding in food, 
cigarettes, camping out at one movie after another, taking refuge in the dark theater. The crescendo of the end comes as your renters no longer pay the rent on your home and your husband has a damaging conflict with your employer and his wife. You speak with someone on the phone. The memory is barely a whisper now. Who tells you you will not find the answers to this catastrophe at the movies? Indeed, you have expended all your resources to get here. Your salary is painfully low. Your husband's efforts to drum up graphic design work have yielded little. You have no choice but to call your dad. You take pride in your independence. You detest asking for help. Asking for money feels like a defeat, a massive failure. You hear his breath catch slightly when you give him the low five-figure number that you know you need to address this situation. You are apologetic and self-flagellating. He simply says, there's no one in the world I'd rather help. It's not a loan. It's a gift. Just get out of there. You feel loved. And as I pause here and we get ready to go to our first break, I'm sure you probably heard a variety of things in the first part of this story. Many questions that I did not ask. Many details that I did not investigate because I was excited and it was a dream and the vision that was created was a wonderful vision that I wanted to be a part of. And all of that is, is fantastic. And in cases like this, when you're going to move across the country, you probably need to ask a few questions. And the other thing, of course, ask for help. Even when you don't want to, especially when you don't want to, when you are feeling your lowest, when you are feeling like you don't want anyone to see this, ask for help and pick the people who love you first to do that. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way you can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at GiraffeTangoOctopus.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and we are talking about work today. Um, And before we went to the break, um, I had moved to Chicago for a dream opportunity um, and it fell apart and I called my dad uh, to help me. Um, And I should say my mom and dad. Uh, My dad is whom I spoke to. My mom and dad um, have always been uh, incredibly supportive uh, and and helpful uh, of me. My dad's been gone a long time now, but my mom continues to be uh, my biggest supporter in this life, I would say. Okay, so I've called my dad and I've I've told him that um, I need some money to get out of the situation. <clears throat> you make the arrangements, endure a brief, uncomfortable exit exchange with Terry. Whatever your respective parts of this escapade, you blame each other while perhaps knowing that your respective spouses also played a part in the debacle. The relationship is broken. You are both sad. Your neighbor, a member of the recovery community, calls in some friends to help you pack the moving truck in the frigid winter temperatures with snow falling relentlessly. You receive a call in response to a resume you sent out because you have already begun to look for work back in your home state. They would like to interview you when you return. The trip back over the Rockies is perilous, with snow and ice. You are following while your husband drives the moving truck towing one of the cars. You have notified the renters that you are returning and that they are in violation of their lease. They are grifters. They have done this before. You must take legal action to get them out of your home. And when they are finally gone, the wreckage created inside is shocking. You go to work on it and eventually get moved back into the home and the life that seemed to have dulled in its appeal when you left, 
but now shines bright, reminding you of the big yellow taxi caution, quote, don't know what you got till it's gone. In a time of unrest, take stock of what you already have in your life. We often have everything we need. This can free us to make a change or not, and to do so from a place of wholeness instead of lack. You attend the interview at the residential treatment center in a town 60 miles north. You are hired as a counselor. Back to basics. You are given the crap schedule of the last hired. Before long, there are a variety of transitions and developments that result in a promotion and then another to executive director. Over the course of the six years you spend in this job, you design the program, build the team, oversee the remodel of the two large buildings and outdoor spaces of the campus, plan and execute service expansions, oversee the commercial kitchen, achieve national accreditation, diversify the patient and service mix, manage contracts with federal probation and Bureau of Prisons, and learn a tremendous amount about business, leadership, people, and yourself. Your mentors, two self-made men, are different in most every other way. You soak up all you can from each of them. You stay until the end, when the decision is made to close this labor of love. You are coached, mentored, and assisted when you ask for it. You have full autonomy and authority over all the day-to-day -day operations. You thrive in leadership and autonomy. You have been in this field for 12 years and you would like to do something new. These are the things that you carry with you as you leave this place that you love and built with your heart and wonder what you might do next. So you take the opportunity to drive across the country. You go it alone from Seattle to Pittsburgh where your then husband's family lives your only protection, a framing hammer kept behind your seat. After Pittsburgh, you pick up your friend in Wisconsin, and she joins you for the circuitous trip back to the West Coast. You dub it the Thelma and Louise road trip. On the night that Sex in the City airs, you stop at all the motels until you find one with HBO. You visit a friend in St. Louis, drive Route 66, pop over to the Grand Canyon for a gander, bake in the sun at a nudist resort in Palm Springs, spend a couple nights in Vegas and Hollywood, and take the scenic Pacific Coast Highway back toward home. While you're in Hollywood, you get tattooed at the Shamrock. The artists are trickling in after a late night. It takes hours to prep a stencil of the homage to Henri Matisse you want on your arm. You are reminded as you wait that you enjoy shop culture. There is something about a tattoo shop that feels like home. When you return to the small town under the shadow of Mount Rainier where you are living, you decide to open your own tattoo shop. There is not one there, 
but there are many, many tattoos. It will be a challenge. Non-artist owners are not readily accepted in this industry, but still operates mostly off the books. You have a vision, though, and you use your experience running a human-centered service business to create the shop you see in your mind and open it Thanksgiving weekend. Sunday, your first client walks in. You train as a body piercer, but after some stressful piercings, culminating in botched nipples, you know it is not for you. You learn the business, manage the supplies and accounting, clean the shop daily, work the counter, answering the same handful of questions throughout the day as if it's the first time you've heard them, schedule the artists and the piercer and support the clients as they undergo the transformative experience that they came for. A local boy dies in a car accident and large groups come in for memorial tattoo. You share in their grief. You comfort and care for clients who faint and learn to spot the signals to try to keep them from hitting the floor full force. You build relationships with temperamental creatives. You go from working with addicts to working with addicts. It is an interesting, wonderful, challenging business and time in your life. You open a second location a few towns away and land on the radar of a minor contingent of the Hells Angels, also connected to the tattoo industry. There are attempts at intimidation and extortion. Against the advice of one of your shop managers, you meet them in person at their shop, believing that certainly reasonable business colleagues can squash the beef. And you are more fight than flight and not one to shrink away when threatened. You keep your composure when you are separated from your shop manager. You are in a client room, your egress blocked by one of the intimidators, while the other one informs you that they run things and you will need to, quote, pay them their money. You behave as if nothing is really happening, and eventually their tactics run out of steam. Your shop manager was treated similarly. He maintains his composure, hand on a knife, in the lining of his shorts, an ankle bracelet still clunky under his sock, marking his probation status. You leave unscathed and turn to him and acknowledge that he was right. This was a bad idea. You are not much interested in guns. You did not grow up with them, other than shooting soda cans with a BB gun, as kids from your era are wont to do. You don't know there is a gun in your childhood home until you are awakened one night by your dad. He comes into your room while you're sleeping in search of an intruder who took the screen off and came in through the living room window. He is holding a shotgun as he searches your walk-in closet and then under the bed where monsters like to hide. Now, at the urging of your husband, you both end up with concealed carry permits and handguns after a brief practice at the shooting range with two gun enthusiasts. He is more enamored of guns than you are, but when you divorce and live alone, you feel better with than without. With the divorce comes the difficult decision to dissolve the corporation 
sell the original location to another shop owner, and close the second location that had piqued the interest of the Hells Angels prospect. The landlord has no appetite for trying to collect on the $240,000 left on the commercial lease agreement. He instead sits down with you in the bar that he owns in the same retail complex and explains to you that a second location isn't double. It's exponential. And not only that, your business never does as well as when you are present. Once your attention, time, and presence are fractured, if your business is not already cooking with gas, you will likely face some challenges. Expanding is a choice. Maximizing what you already have is another choice. Bigger is not always better. And yes, sometimes less really is more. You are grateful for his generosity in letting you out of your lease and for the brief but meaningful professional mentorship. You don't forget it. He is quite a lot older than you, has health issues, and is moving down to Mexico for warm, dry air for his lungs and more affordable health care. He demonstrates that he is choosing himself now. It is time. He appears to be someone who has worked and worked and worked. Prior to the dissolution of your marriage and your businesses, you began looking for work, a regular J-O-B. Your shops both had managers, and you found yourself needing more in terms of growth and challenge, and you also sensed that running the shops was not going to provide the longer-term professional and financial trajectory that you would need. The winters were tough. In a seasonal business, one must be able to weather the off-season. You were coming off a cold, quiet, and lean winter. To that end, you re-enter healthcare administration. This time, an equally important and underfunded area of human wellness, sexual healthcare. Like your work in chemical dependency and tattoo and body piercing, it is a passion of yours. More than a decade later, at a high school reunion, a gentleman you went to school with all 12 years tells you that he cannot think of a more perfect job for you. You chuckle. You know what he means, but can't explain it beyond that. Yes, embracing your sexuality and having ready access to sexual health care so that you can enjoy your sexuality through all the stages and changes of life is a passion. You align with the mission and you care about it. You will spend nearly 17 years in this field. You take a position as a manager. It is entry level as your last position prior to the foray into tattoo was an executive director with full authority over every aspect of the business, reporting directly to the owner. 
you promote several levels over the years into an executive VP role. Your business acumen and leadership development, supported by mentors, colleagues, high-quality training, and an unwavering connection to the mission. You are involved in successful mergers over the course of years and gain a tremendous amount of experience. When you leave, while it is unplanned, it is the next right choice for you. And as I pause um, and get ready to go to our next break, I want to call out that I have a number of times taken a position that would be considered lesser than the one that I had prior, lesser in title, lesser in responsibility, lesser in scope, lesser in money. And it was a strategic choice, partly to address the needs that I had at that time, my human needs, my needs to, you know, pay for my life, but also because I was able to follow my intuition because of that early connection um, to purpose with my work, I was able to feel um, in a way that it was right. And then also set aside in those moments, my, my ego um, and anything I might say to myself that, that might be unsupportive and, and most particularly any concern for what anybody else might think. So we're going to go to our um, we're going to go to our second break. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back to finish the story. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Connect with us and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? 
Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten Johansson, your host. And today we're talking about work. Um, and before the break, um, we we're, we're really actually have kind of brought you almost current um, uh, in this story of work and, and life. When we started the story, it was 1987 when I was sitting in that uh, upstairs room talking to my dad. And now, um, as I have just exited that um, wonderful that wonderful, wonderful um, position that I had in sexual health care. It's now 2021. You have never not worked. Your income tracks back to 1982 when you made a few bucks at the age of 12 and the IRS was interested. It has taken 30 solid years to build up your savings with many examples of one step up and two steps back. It is your money. You earned it. You decide, however uncomfortable, that you will spend it on yourself, not working. You will spend it to give yourself time and space to finish the peeling of the layers of the onion. You do not want to create or recreate any of the lives you've previously lived. You want a new life. You have been grinding. You do not wish to grind any longer. You have been working for someone else. You no longer want to march on someone else's orders. You have done this before. You know how it feels. You know what you're capable of. You also know you want to write, tell stories with your voice, and use your experiences to help others. You allow the organic creation and development of your business your brand, your passion. You return to the Venn diagram of this trifecta when things are challenging and when fear percolates to discourage you. How will these endeavors pay your bills? You accept the I don't know of that and do what you are called to do. You reduce your expenses and spend conservatively on necessities. This is far easier than ever before as you no longer care about things, nor do you care about aging. You have more than enough things left, even after letting go of 98% of what you previously owned. You have spent enough time, energy, and money on cosmetic procedures for several lifetimes and can no longer be bothered. You put your money where your mouth is and live in acceptance as you focus on creating versus earning. You detach from money as a goal and you hold it in an open hand as a necessity that will come with every next right choice that is made. You want to feel differently about the place of work in your life. You must change your relationship with work and money. In June of 2022, you are wrapping up some final details ahead of your transition to a new life floating between the Oregon coast and the island of Malta. You have sold and given away nearly everything, save for your art and a very pared down version of your wardrobe. 
you are storing these remaining positions at your mom's to avoid an interminable storage payment. But the guns. You do not want to leave the guns at her house, the guns acquired during a different life. Over the years, the 38 stayed in your home, the 32 light and compact for carrying in a handbag, pocket, or glove compartment. There are times you're glad to have them, but mostly you are aware of having loaded guns and feeling less and less comfortable handling them. Guns can end up in unintended hands and you don't want them near her. So you go to the gun store in her small coastal town in Oregon. As you enter the shop, you are reminded of the shop culture of tattooing that feels like home because the shop culture of guns feels far from home, far from your spirit at 51, far from the culture of your youth when mass shootings were rare, artifacts from a different life. Your eyes immediately go to the assault rifles filling the back wall up to the ceiling. The Buffalo and Uvalde massacres are recent. The shock, grief, and despair still hang in the air and in your body. Seeing them all there available for purchase feels both surreal and very real. These weapons of war are taking an immense toll on the U.S. as they continue to land in the hands of enraged men with nothing left to lose. You explain your guns are loaded and hand the bag containing them and their ammunition over like something that is both fragile and a little stinky. While you are waiting, you chat with a staff member who asks you why you're selling your guns. I'm going to Malta and I don't want them at my mom's, you say. This prompts a chat about living outside the U.S. as he shares about his friends who are missionaries in Thailand. Your transaction is handled by a friendly, affable young man. The guns are con confirmed to have no record of criminal activity. Some paperwork is completed. You are given a fair price and paid in cash. You hear the owner comment that their inventory is way up and wonder if this happens after a particularly brutal mass shooting. You exit the cluttered, organized chaos of the store into the sunlight. You feel lighter, relieved, freed from this weighty responsibility of gun ownership, freed from the artifacts of your former life. You are aware these guns will continue to exist, to be recycled into the hands of others. There are not fewer guns in the world, only fewer in your life. This experience of gun culture, brief and seemingly perfunctory, is visceral, memorable, and important to you. It is a slice of Americana, gone tragically, supersized. A short time later, you are in Malta. It's not that there aren't guns here. There are under limited circumstances with protective measures in place. There are an average of five lives lost to gun violence each year in this unusual country of half a million people from many different countries living together with the Maltese on a rock in the Mediterranean Sea. Every day there are crackles, pops, and booms of fireworks, not to be mistaken as anything else. Why? Because Malta, and having the good fortune to be in Malta, is cause for celebration. And celebration, in Maltese fashion, should be loud and proud. These expressions of joy and good fortune pepper the background as you read of the sniper at the 4th of July parade in a Chicago suburb of which you are familiar 
from your brief move there in the 90s. You feel safe here in Malta and hurt for your compatriots in the U.S. who, with each expression of rage and disdain for the sanctity of human life, no longer feel safe. Your Malta apartment is opposite a primary school and you hear the din of children playing, laughing and screaming with their outside voices. They are protected from view by the high walls of the huge stone structure, allowing you to see them only in your mind's eye, in their smart little uniforms. There is not even a whisper of a thought that they could be harmed. Not even a whisper. The sound of them playing with abandon bathes you in peace. One must find pockets of peace, a place to return and be reminded that everything is okay. In this moment, there are happy children at recess. It is here, in this loud and quiet place, that you will begin to build your new career. You will write and develop your coaching practice, and you will receive a call from an internet radio network. They are wondering if you might be interested in developing a show with them. You are struck immediately by the symmetry of this opportunity. An opportunity to live the three life purposes. Write, tell stories using your voice, and use your experiences to support other humans. After a quick exchange of voicemails, emails, and a brief call, you sit down to complete the proposal for your new radio show. The vision flows out of you, not dissimilarly to the vision for the bright, crisp white, artsy, welcoming tattoo shop that you created two decades prior. If someone with a crystal ball would have told you even just five years ago that you would host a radio show about self-love, you would have dismissed it as a far-fetched psychic reading about some other being, but not you. This is the beauty of taking a risk, of making a change when you don't have it all figured out, of clearing away the noise so you can hear your own true voice, of firing self-hate and hiring self-love of calling BS on fear, of practicing immunity to the judgments of others, of not caring about so many things that cried out for attention and import and are worthy of neither, of sending Spock to his quarters to rest while Kirk runs the show and sometimes just ignores the analytics and goes with his gut, of choosing to create what is uniquely yours to contribute and to practice the art of detachment as to how it is received, to embrace that every sparkle of brilliance is counterbalanced by vastly more twinkles Less lustrous, but twinkles just the same. So that is my story of work. It has been 
uh, a long and winding road. And it has encompassed, I guess, what we would tend to call failures. And I think I used to think of them as failures because that's kind of how we're taught and that's the language we use. And we also focus on often an end result or the thing going the way we think the thing should go. And through all of those twists and turns and two steps forward, three steps back, one step forward, two steps back, five steps forward, I've really come to understand that it's all part of it. It's all part of it. And it's okay. And certainly, I have been through some unbelievably difficult things in all of the jobs that I have been in. Things that I wouldn't have imagined that I would need to figure out how to handle and how to manage. But I did. And so I think one of the things I want to leave you with is to trust yourself. And if you have someone like my dad to ask you some questions and tell you the truth, you might be able to address that tension that you're feeling around your work. And possibly you might need to change your job, but possibly not. It really does require investigation, the centering of yourself, the centering of what's important to you, what brings you joy, what's meaningful to you, and ultimately the life you want to live because work does occupy, for most of us, quite a large swath of our lives. So I am here to help you with any or all of those things. You can find me um, at my website at giraffetangooctopus.com. You can find me across social media at GTO Coaching. Um, and if all goes according to plan, um, when I speak with you next week, I will be speaking with you from beautiful, magical Malta. Um, and this has been um, a joy to bring you this show. And I hope that you've heard something um, that's helpful to you. Love yourself, free yourself, be yourself, and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.